Alright, welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast post-game edition. Oregon walks away uh, playing Chip Kelly and the UCLA Bruins Saturday night. Fox telecast uh, sold out Autzen Stadium. Ducks win 42-21. to uh, Oregon had a 21-7 to lead at the half. And then things got a little interesting in the third quarter when the Bruins cut the lead to, to 14. But then uh, Ducks pulled away and scored 14 points to UCLA's 7 in the in the fourth quarter to win 42-21, uh, a game in which questions of Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell's availability, their status, their impact on this football game were all answered. Uh, Herbert started at quarterback. Dylan Mitchell uh, did not start but was in on the field for the second possession of the game. And boy, I, I think it's safe to say both guys had a direct correlation for Oregon's success. Herbert threw for 264 yards, 18 of 32 passing, two touchdowns, was not sacked. Dylan Mitchell uh, led all players played in this football game with eight receptions, which was a game high for everybody. Also 156 yards receiving, which was a game high for everybody. And he also had two touchdowns, which was a game high and for everybody. And a career high. Career high. Yeah. Career high, 156 career, yards. Well, no, career high, touchdowns. Touchdowns. Pre, pre, yeah, as a first multiple Wow, touchdowns. that's kind of surprising. A Two little touchdowns. Bit. Well, because he only had four on the year. And he had, I mean, he, he, even that Stanford game where he had, what, 13 catches for 200-something yards, he, he only had – he didn't score a touchdown that game. So, yeah, two, two was the season and career high, I believe, for Dylan Mitchell. And, and just really quickly, you talked about the those guys – and. Dylan Mitchell and, and Justin Herbert actually, I thought, played pretty well. I think Herbert was somewhat up and down. 18 for 32 passing is a little below his probably his standard and what he was hoping for. But coming off of, obviously, a, a week where he was off schedule and Mitchell's off schedule, both guys limited because of the concussion protocol. Um, but I, I think, and I, I wrote about this on the site, and, and I think you guys probably agree, the offense scores, they score 42 points, but the special teams and defense deserve as much, if not a little bit more credit for the 42 points because the first four touchdowns Oregon scored were directly aided or assisted by a special teams or a defensive play. Yeah. Ugo Amadi has the, the punt return for a touchdown. Blake Maimone, who I told Kevin Wade, who's not here tonight, by the way, because um, he's back in Portland uh, driving back, but uh, I told him before the game, that, why don't they utilize Maimone's arm? He was a high school quarterback. He's the punter. And Look at sure that. Enough. Sure enough, first quarter, they run a fake field goal, and he utilizes that arm, hits Jacob Breland for a crucial first down. They end up scoring a play later um, with a C.J. Verdell touchdown run. And then later in that half, Maimone, again, good things happened when he was on the field tonight, which usually you don't say about when your punter is on the field that good things are <laughs> happening. But he, he has another booming punt that is mishandled by Darius Pickett for UCLA. Oregon recovers it, I think, at the 10 or 11-yard line, ends up scoring a couple plays later. So... The first three touchdowns in that first half directly led um, by special teams play, whether it's a return touchdown, the punt that was muffed, or that fake field goal. So a lot of credit to those guys. In the second half, the first touchdown Oregon had um, came a couple plays after Justin Hollins had sacked uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, recovered the ball, uh, again, inside the 10-yard line. So you you look at the 42 points and you go, man, that Oregon offense was back and clicking. I would say probably not. I, I think you maybe come away feeling... Just as much concerned as you were coming into the game. You agree with that, Matt? Oh, 100%. I mean, I was going to actually pivot to that very topic. Um, you look at the box score and you see 292 yards uh, rushing for, or not 292 yards, 292 passing, passing yards, 200, 
200 yards rushing. Oregon ends up with 492 total yards. Um, total offense per play, 6.6. And you look at this and you think, you know, they were about 50% on third down conversions. Mm-hmm. All the numbers look good. Yeah, and you look at it, you look at the box score, just the game on paper, and you think, oh, Oregon played pretty well. They figure things out offensively. They walk away from this game probably feeling pretty good about themselves. And I don't think that's the case because, like you said, four, their first four touchdowns were all aided by either a special teams touchdown or a special teams fumble recovery on a punt return inside the 20 at UCLA, uh, a fake field goal by Oregon that converts, gets to the ball to the one-yard <clears throat> one line and Oregon scores the next play. And then there's also Justin Hollins sacking Dorian Thompson-Robinson in the process forcing a fumble, recovering it, getting it, and the ball ending up ending at the at the UCLA 7, and four plays later, Oregon scores a touchdown. The other four possessions that, or five possessions that, excuse me, right, let me get this right. The other <laughs> six do. possessions that Oregon had in the first half, four were punts, one was a missed field goal. From like 20 yards out. And the next one was a, uh, a, a situation where they got stuffed on fourth down, when they needed one yard on third down and one yard on fourth down, and they didn't get it. So I walk away from this, this game thinking they, they showed improvement, but if they were playing Cal, if they were playing Arizona, if they were playing Colorado, Utah, ASU, Washington, Washington State. You can name every Stanford, team in the conference probably. I don't think they win that, that game against that opponent with this type of a, of a performance just because – UCLA was that bad. I don't think people realize how bad UCLA was. Right, and, and I do want to say just really quick on the box score thing, those stats are also impacted by two like explosion plays at the end of the game, which credit to the Oregon offense, those were plays. Dylan Mitchell had a 67-yard touchdown pass from Justin Herbert, and uh, Tony Brooks-James had a 54-yard run. If you take those plays off the board, it's like they, they had about 350 yards of total offense and 28 points, which in it, I mean, which would be a pretty average outing, I think. It's just inconsistency continues to plague this team. And I, I, you look at, I find something really interesting about the stats and, and Justin Herbert's season that he's having so far. I think coming into this game, he had something like a, a 56% a completion percentage. Yeah. And that's really low. Mm-hmm. Like that's for, not, for today's college football, that's bad. That's not good. Yeah, and, and today he went 18 to 32, which I want to say is something like about the same, 50 and, uh, uh, Probably really close to 56. Right, right. And, and so you, you just look at that, and, you know, the first couple of games of the season, it looked like it was just drops by receivers, right? And, and now we're seeing situations where just, I mean, I want to say one out of every six plays, Herbert's just having to throw it away because no one's open. And, and it's just, that's just happening too often. The, the offense is too inconsistent, and, and I think Herbert's completion percentage and, and, that. And I think we, you know, one of the things that we might have seen had Dylan Mitchell missed the game, because as we established earlier, there was some question about availability for both Mitchell and Herbert coming, obviously both played. But we were curious to see who would step up in, in, the, in light of that happening. And, you know, fortunate for Oregon in terms of winning this game, but unfortunate in terms of kind of knowing if there's somebody capable of doing that, because... Dill Mitchell had eight of the team's 19 completed passes. Uh, C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye had five, so those are running backs. And then Jacob Breland had two, but one of those was on from a punt. It was from the punter on a, on a fake field goal. So really, Oregon really got, in terms of receptions by tight ends and receivers not named Dill Mitchell, they ended up with, I believe, four. Th- uh, four sorry, five. Three from Brennan Schooler, 
one from Jacob Breland, and one from Jalen Red. So that's not much production. Again, it's the same. It's the same sort of story if you just want to look at it that way. Of Dylan Mitchell's really good. He's clearly the best receiver on this team. I think he's making a case to maybe be the best receiver in the conference. And and I think Matt, one of your hot takes not too long ago was he was going to break some Oregon records. Mm-hmm. I think he's again he's on, way pace. on the way. He's he's on the way. I mean, that looks like a good prediction. Another huge game. We, we established eight catches, 156 yards, two touchdowns. But there really isn't much after him. And, and I think that it leads to what you're talking about, about throwing right. the ball away. Because if he's not open, he's not throwing the ball really towards anyone. Right. And at this point, we keep asking, you know, who's going to be that guy, the second guy to step up. And it's pretty clear at this point there isn't going to be that guy I, I this season. just don't think there is one. I right. mean, I think I, Breland made some plays. Breland but looking, yeah. And that's about it. Johnny Johnson's name doesn't appear on the box score. Jalen Red, And he hasn't for a while. Yeah, he hasn't right. hardly at all. Jalen Red had... One catch for four yards. It's worth mentioning. Red also had. I mean, maybe this is a big play worth mentioning. It was a big play in the game. Red had, did have a, um, a, a kind of like end around reverse that went for a touchdown, but it was negated because Jake Hansen was called for targeting. Oregon and it doesn't end up getting any points off that drive, and Hansen is ejected. Will miss the first half against Utah next week, and that you know I think we should mention that because that was a big momentum swing. Yeah. If, or, if that play stands, it feels like the game is already over. Obviously, it didn't end up mattering because Oregon wins pretty handily, but. That was a, a play where if you're playing against like one of those eight or nine teams in the conference that Matt rattled off there, that could have been the play that just you know sent them in the, in the wrong direction and led to ultimately their demise. One thing that I, I do want to bring up, um, I think Cristobal gave some good insight into where this team is at. And he was asked about postgame kind of why tonight – Offensively, things worked well opposed to uh, previous games against Washington State and against Arizona. I think he's kind of opened up, and maybe he didn't mean it to come across this way or mean to even acknowledge it. But he said, uh, it all starts with the run game. The way that we are built, the personnel that we have, the lack of depth that we have at certain skill positions, we're built to do a certain thing a certain way. And when we don't do it, like we found ourselves last week, we are in scramble mode. Just a different kind of territory, something that we have to do a better job of, like this week, making sure of not only staying on schedule to do a better job, uh, to create the right times of opportunities for our players, and to make sure that sometimes you have to ride the blocking of the perimeter guys, and sometimes it's the tight end and the fullback, and sometimes it's the offensive line. He basically came out and acknowledged the fact that, hey, at certain skill positions, that's wide receiver. Have to, yeah, absolutely. That right. they are, they do not have the talent. They do not have the depth that every other majority of the Pac-12 teams have. I mean, it's been a long time that you can say Oregon's receiving core is not as deep and as good uh, as this unit is. I mean, I thought last year was pretty poor, and this one took a step back. I mean, they, they lost a couple guys from last year's team, most notably Charles Nelson, and no one's kind of replaced him and they've lost Royce Freeman from the running game and you know no one's really replaced Royce Freeman I don't know how many times uh it's difficult to ask a running back group to to replace Royce Freeman but I don't know how many times Oregon's running backs today and this season they have literally ran into the back of a running of an offensive lineman in, in in a football game they've missed the hole they don't see the hole um, I think Oregon's running backs are good. I don't think they're nearly as good as the previous 15 years of running backs. I mean, I, I think I go back to um, Terrence Whitehead when he was a junior 
and he was kind of the guy for Oregon. I think that was 2006, I want to say. or Somewhere or, or, in that, 2004, 2006, somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah, somewhere, t- 2004, that's when it was, because Jonathan Stewart was a, was a, a true freshman 2005, in 2005. Right. Um, 2004 is kind of like the last year, I think, where Oregon's running backs were this poor in terms of finding holes and, and having that one guy. Like, I don't think you can go into every game saying, hey, Oregon's going to have a guy that's going to get 100 yards and he's going to average over five yards a carry, and we need three yards, we'll get three yards. Because UCLA's defense is the 11th worst defense going into this weekend's games in the Pac-12 against the run, and they absolutely engulfed Oregon on two plays in the third quarter when Oregon needed one yard, just one yard to get a first down, move the sticks, get probably in the field goal range, and Oregon couldn't do it. And they didn't, they didn't have a power back, they didn't, they didn't have... Uh, a speed back. They don't have a, an all-purpose back that that could get one yard, and that to me for Oregon football, that's just weird. Yeah, and, and you know, looking at you look at the numbers here. Oregon utilized four of their five, all four of their healthy backs. They have Darian Felix still on the roster, but he, you know, we, we we've mentioned he's he's on a scooter and his his foot's in a cast. It's pretty clear he's not playing probably for the rest of the year. Yeah. And you and you wonder, you know, kind of, if, you know, what his plan is going forward. I'm, I'm guessing they're going to utilize his redshirt year this year because I think he only played in two games and he, he obviously played last season. But you you look at the the numbers here. Verdell is clearly the guy they want to go with. He had 25 yeah. carries today for 90 yards. That's a 3.6 yards per carry average. It's not and, terrible, but it's very average. Yeah, it's not it's not great. And and Tony Brooks James had five carries for 73 yards. 54 came on one run for a touchdown. And it was and by the way, we should say that was it was really encouraging. I think to see that was a positive play. It's the point where I'm almost. Do you consider going back to Tony? Well, Brooks and that was kind of what I was going to get run. at. Was it was encouraging to see a, an explosion play from the run game because we really haven't seen that at all all season. And that and that and that's kind of maybe the knock you have on Verdell is he is. I think the most consistent back on gaining forward and getting yards. He had he had 25 carries and had one of them was for negative yardage. That's pretty impressive. At the same time, he averaged 3.6 yards per carry. And Brooks James is clearly the home run back on this team. And to see him go out and have a 54 yard run for a touchdown, I think is encouraging. And I wonder, you know, he has not been utilized in this offense like I think any of us expected he would be. I don't think he is. And every down back, but I think he deserves, or, or at least I'd be curious to see what would happen if he was utilized in a bigger role. Because I think that's a thing he's capable with. Whether it's uh, as a as a receiver getting a screen pass, or or if they utilize him coming off the edge more, or or what. I think there's 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 got to be ways to to you know utilize him because, like you said, this running game. Um, I know you can say looking at the numbers, they had 200 yards rushing, but 54 came on that one run at the end of the game. And really, it wasn't. A, I think they had like about 80 yards going into the fourth quarter. They had a lot of success running at the end of the game. I, I think there there's some things that that need to take place, and I'll be very curious to see going forward if Verdell continues to be the 25 carry running back, or if they mix it up some more, or if they move and to the, Brooks James. The dilemma is is that Tony Brooks James is not the pass blocker. No, that Verdell is, and he has turnover issues. Yeah, he has fumble. He has so fumble does Travis issues. Die. I mean, right, that's right. what. And Ver- Verdell, I guess, did have one against right, yeah, Stanford. So I mean, all these guys have fumbled the ball all season, and Cyrus Sabibi Lakio also had that issue with, right. against Stanford. So it's not like any of these guys are super sure-handed. But yeah, I would say Die and Brooks James. I think both have two or three this year. I mean, I know Die does I mean, Dye for fu- sure. I mean, uh, Brooks James fumbled today on a kickoff yeah, return. Was I mean, he was just lucky that the ball that, bounced out of bounds. Right. I mean, that's happened. 
three times, I, I think, as well for him. Where he's fumbled he, quite a few. He's on returns. fumbled quite a few returns. He's fumbled a, a couple plays that they've just been able to recover when he's got the ball. So I think there's clearly an issue where he might be the best back in terms of big playability. Oh, I think there's no question he is. Yeah, and you know, home run threat. But at the same time, he's the most likely candidate that Oregon has to put the ball on the ground. And it's going to be kind of a give or take, if you will, of what do you want to live with? Do you want to live with the opportunity that, hey, more often than not, Tony Burch James is going to fumble once in the game and you're probably not going to get it in that case and get it back? Or do you want to remove the explosive ability that you have at the running back position and run with a Verdell who you know is going to hold on to the football, but at the same time, he's not going to bring that big home run, big play threat that TBJ brings to the table. Just changing subjects here, but I wanted to get to this before we wrap up. I, I think maybe just looking at the box ground and watching the game, I think one of the things that stood out the most was that Oregon's defensive line and linebackers, which a while, you know, a couple weeks ago before the Arizona game ranked near the top of the conference against the run, Joshua Kelly looked to be, honestly, if you were to just watch that game, you'd say he might have been the best football player on the field tonight. He had 23 carries, 161 yards, a touchdown. Also had some work in the receiving game, six catches for 32 yards. That led UCLA in receiving. UCLA could not throw the football in this game. 23 passes for 49, uh, 23 uh, completions on 49 attempts, had an interception, 297 yards. They used two different quarterbacks. But the fact that UCLA was able to really – have a ton of success at the line of scrimmage and we haven't mentioned Chip Kelly much I think they might have underutilized Kelly I know he had 26 rushes but there were times in this game where Oregon just couldn't stop UCLA on the ground they yep. just couldn't do it and to me With that no was, passing game that's yeah exactly that's and, and it was clear that UCLA wasn't going to throw the ball efficiently I think Rob, Robinson started out like one for eight with a pick in his first nine attempts of the game uh, or, or for first eight attempts of the game I, I found that to be pretty glaring because all season, you've been able to kind of feel like this Oregon run defense has been strong, one of the better units, you know, in the in the conference in the front seven in terms of stopping the run. And now this is two consecutive weeks for an opposing running backs. I mean, JJ Taylor had over 200 yards last week, uh, have just had a lot of success. And and I kind of bring this up because looking ahead, the next three games Oregon faces, I believe, three of the four top rushers in the conference. Next week. They face Zach Moss in Utah. After that, it's Eno Benjamin in Arizona State. And then it's Jamar Jefferson in Oregon State. And I think all those are somewhat winnable games. We'll get to that in a minute probably. But I think you have to be at least a little bit concerned about this team's ability to stop the run because uh, we'd seen so many positive things early on in the season. But this is consecutive weeks here where the opposing team has had a lot of success running the football. Um, and even Washington State on a limited basis because they throw the football like you know 50 times a game they were able to have some success running the football. So, you know, it's not just that Oregon has some issues with its own run game. It's that the defense seems to have some issues stopping it. I think something that we're starting to understand is that, or that teams are starting to understand, is that they're not going to have success running up the middle against Oregon with Jordan Scott. No, and he was great tonight. We should mention that. I think what we're seeing, we saw last week, we saw tonight, is teams are bouncing their runs to the outside almost every time they run the ball. And, uh... Justin Alls and Jalen Jelks are struggling to contain that. The outside linebackers are struggling to contain that. But that's what teams are doing. They're, they're bouncing it to the outside and they're having a lot of su- success that way. Yeah, and that's probably disconcerting because those two guys, Jelks and, um, and Hollins, are, are two seniors, two veteran guys. And, and, and obviously there are more players that impact a run play. Um, but, yeah, I, I, think, I think it has been a little bit glaring. And, 
And again, they're going to be tested the next three weeks. And if they're not up for that test, um, that could potentially be really dangerous because you know this is this is an offense uh, that doesn't look like it's clicking even after a forty-two point score uh, in a football game. But the defense, at least the you know at least against the run game, wasn't great. And again, I thought the secondary played pretty well if you look at the stats. But I also think some of that could be a byproduct of playing UCLA, who clearly has some issues at quarterback. I don't think either guy looked great I mean despite maybe was better throwing the football but both those guys were you know you weren't particularly confident that the ball was going to be caught by their player at, at, you know throughout the game let's one before we get to hot takes Oregon currently stands three and three in the Pac-12 North uh in the Pac-12 overall Washington State's as we're recording this has scored a late touchdown against California like 30 seconds left to take a lead. So they're going to win. They're going to win that football game and improve to 5-1 and one in the Pac-12. That eliminates Oregon, essentially, from winning the Pac-12 North division. I mean, it was already going to be... <laughs> I hope too, not too many people were holding out hope. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was possible, but, you know, a whole bunch of crazy stuff happened. That's now eliminated uh, Oregon's chances of getting into the conference championship game. So... Best Oregon can do now is win out and finish nine and three in the regular season, win a bowl game, and get that double digit win for the first time since 2015, I believe. Or no, 2014. 15, they lost the bowl yeah, game. Yeah, they lost the bowl game and went nine and four. Um, so Oregon's got three more games left. What is your? I, and I apologize if this is stealing one of your hot takes here, um, but your confidence in Oregon going three and out. Two of which are on the road. One at Utah next week, which we also should say Tyler Huntley, the starting quarterback, yeah, broke his collarbone out for the year, basically. Um, and then they have a home game against Arizona State, and then they've got a who just knocked off Utah, uh, and then they have the road game against the Beavers in a Civil War matchup. I mean, it's it's interesting because I think you look at all three of those games and think they're all winnable. I would not have said. Utah felt winnable at all before Huntley even went down. Last, even before this week, I was not. Yeah, it didn't feel conceivable. I think I think, I think they were now, losing by three scores. Yeah, and I and I still think I still don't think it's a given Oregon wins. I think Utah has a really good defense. They've got a great yep. running game. That's why I mentioned Zach Moss a minute ago here and that Utah run game because it's one of the best in the conference. And Oregon's defense didn't look great tonight in the last couple of weeks against the run. I don't think that's a gimme win, but I think that game is now much more winnable than it felt a couple of hours ago. I think Arizona State might be the hardest game on the schedule, yeah. and that felt that did not feel the case not two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, like probably even before today, because Arizona State looked really rough through you know a bunch of games, but then they've now beaten USC and Utah, who we thought might have been the two most talented teams in the South in consecutive weeks. That could be a really tough game, and that could be a game that Arizona State is playing potentially for a division title because they're now tied with I think four other teams in the South. Um, no, three other teams in the or, yeah, they're tied with three teams in the South um, with three losses. They might be playing for a division title, and they, they're gonna, that game would mean a lot to them, where, whereas Oregon, obviously, every game means a lot, but they're not playing for their division title. And then Oregon State won a game last week against Colorado. They played USC decently competitive today. They're, that's not going to be a gimme pushover game by any standard, I don't think. So um, I, my sense is they'll probably win two out of three. I'm not sure if it's going to be Utah or Arizona State they lose to, but that puts them at 8-4, and four, and I think that's, you know, that's about where – you kind of expected they'd be going to the season. I think I had them going nine and three, but I didn't think that they would um, lose to that Arizona game. That was kind of a surprise to me, and, and, and certainly, uh, you know, the Washington State game felt like a reasonable game that they could lose. But you know, you didn't know what Washington State was going to be coming in the year. But 
eight and four, if that's where they finish, I think you take that. There's probably people who are frustrated because I think a lot of people come in with Justin Herbert and think this is going to be a 10-win season. I don't think that was necessarily on the table this year, but um, that's kind of how I see it playing out. I don't know. I think it could go a lot of different ways. I don't, I don't think they'll lose out, but I wouldn't be shocked if they went 2-1 and one or 3-0. Or and oh. I don't know. It's, it's tough because this conference is crazy right now. Yeah, I, in addition to that, it's just it's it's crazy to see the difference between Oregon at home and Oregon on the road. I know yeah, every team in the country, a fair, fair point. Every team in the country plays worse on the road. There, there's yeah. no doubt about it. But the discrepancy with Oregon at home and Oregon on the road is. I actually just wrote a piece this past week talking about. You did since the start of the 2016 season, Oregon is averaging 43 points at home prior to this game. And twenty six points Jeez. on offense on the road. <laughs> that's well, they, they're that's probably that's averaging very close to forty three points still because they scored forty two. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm good at math. <laughs> not a huge change there, but th- th- that's just that's such a concerning discrepancy. And the reason I, I started compiling that data in the start of the twenty sixteen season is because a lot of the players on this team now Are were still, key, yeah were sure. key players back then. So yeah. that culture, that mentality is still there. So that's my biggest concern moving forward. Is even with a team like Oregon State, where Oregon has a more talented roster. They're a better team. Um, Oregon State, for sure, will be hyped up for that game at home. Uh, even that's a concern at this point. Yeah, two of the lesser games on the road, and like you said, it's been a house of horrors this season in particular right. on the road. I mean, it's been really bad. Really, I really think bad. we'll learn a lot. If Oregon goes into Utah and wins that game, I'll, I'll feel pretty confident in saying that they'll win the final two. And I know it's kind of cheating, but I think that Utah game is really going to dictate where this season goes because if – if they go into Utah and they get blasted, and they 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 lose ugly like they did at Arizona and like they do that like they did at Washington State, I could see that this team folding and finishing the year six and six. And I just think that's that's a this Utah game is setting up as a huge game that's going to dictate whether this team goes and plays in San Antonio in the Alba Bowl or in San Diego in the Holiday Bowl, or if they crumble and they fall apart and they're playing in the Birmingham Bowl. At six and six, and being one of those teams. That, oh God! That please gets, don't do that. I don't want to go to Alabama <laughs> for Christmas. That gets regulated to a bowl that's not even tied to the, the conference because there's so many teams that are bowl eligible. And that's another thing is you know, not to get off track here, but you look at the Pac-12 standings. Everyone has the same record. Overall <laughs> record. I mean, you've got Washington State at seven and one, and the Huskies are seven and three. Stanford's five and four. Oregon's bowl eligible at six and three. California is five and three overall, and they need to win one more game to get bowl eligible. You've got Utah, who's six and three and bowl eligible. USC five and four. Arizona five and five. Arizona State five and four. Colorado five and four. I mean, there's really a possibility you get ten teams bowl game. You, that you could have ten teams bowl eligible, yeah, and only yeah. really one of them will have a, a really respectable record in, in Washington State if they win out. Yeah, I mean, so the whole league is just. It's weird, it's man. Weird. It's, it's weird. It's the weirdest year it's been, man, because the Pac-12 South winner is guaranteed to have three losses, which yep. is crazy, and probably going to be more, knowing how that those guys in the division have played. I mean, Oregon beats Utah. You could, you could have conceivably a, a winner that's 5-4 and four in that division, which is crazy, which means they're winning just above 50% of their games. All right, let's go to hot take time. I'll open up. Good. Um, I think Oregon wins out. They beat everybody by at least 14 points. Oh, wow. And I... I I think it's aided a little bit by the fact that Utah is going to become kind of what Oregon was last year, where, hey, they're going to need to win games by the defense playing a perfect game, the offense playing a pitch-perfect game, 
and getting some luck defensive uh, with the other opponent having a bad game. I think Oregon shows up against Utah. They win by more than 14 points, and then they blow out Arizona State, and they blow out Oregon State, finish the year 9-3, and three, and they finish the year ranked inside the top 20. This is a really nuanced hot <laughs> take. That's hot like take. hot takes. There's more than one. So I write it all down I was you? Yeah, please do it and send it to my email. I'll look at it later. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was going to point to Alec and tell him to go so I could figure something out, and then Alec did exactly <laughs> what I was about to do before I did, so I believe I'm... Because I'm all show I believe I'm, your hot takes. I believe I'm forced all to do it. All show. You know, one, one thing I was thinking... One thing I was, was thinking about... Um, and was and I think is I don't know if this is that this is probably a pretty hot take. I, I think Tony Brooks James is going to have a really strong finish this season. I think that fifty four yard run um, got something going there. And and I think you know we talked about the fumble issues. We talked about maybe the pass protection um, shortcomings. But I think you saw on that play that was the most exciting Oregon running play probably since all year. Well, I know I think Travis Dye had like a fifty six yarder yeah, against Cal, true. but it's been the most exciting certainly since I think the Cal game. Um, in terms of just a, a big rushing play, I, I think I think you saw, and again, sort of a limited sample size, and we had five carries, and I think he only played in two different series throughout the game. But I think you saw uh, a, a somebody who can who can make an impact and who can be that home run hitter that this offense really needs. Because right now, it's, I mean, really, if you look at that run game, it, it is kind of guys are going to run for between three and eight yards every time, and that's kind of what they're going to do. There isn't a lot of you know, a lot of outliers like this where a guy runs for 54 yards. So I, I think Brooks James's impact on this offense is going to be greater going forward than it has been recently. That's not a crazy hot take because he was basically not involved in the offense for about half, most of the Pac-12 play for about four weeks here. Um, but I, I think you're going to see him become a little bit more of a focal point. I don't necessarily think he's going to unseat uh, C.J. Verdell as a starting running back because I think Verdell show today with 25 carries and 90 yards and a touchdown that he's he's kind of the guy but I, I I think you're going to see Brooks James have a little bit bigger role going forward Alec do you have one or do you need to point at somebody uh, else I have one yeah <laughs> you can point at me I, again. I did it I did it so um, he's done it obviously I just talked about the fact that Oregon is, has not played well on the road I think the news about Tyler Huntley is as sad as it is has to be encouraging for this Oregon team yeah um, I think they're sick of hearing about their road woes, and, and I think this win um, is going to help them, you know, spark some motivation. I, I'm i not going to say that they're going to go on the road and win next weekend. What? But. So that's your hot take is they're not so, winning next week on the road at Utah. No, no, no. Wow. So, but the little bits of the Arizona State-Utah game I watched today, Nikhil Harry, who's probably the best receiver in the conference besides Colorado's um, – Oh, that's a hot take in itself because we'll disagree. I'm I'm full of these tonight. Um, But what I saw was Nikhil Harry was able to um, dominate against that Utah secondary. He played really well. I think Dylan Mitchell will go to Salt Lake City next week and have a better game than he did today. I think he'll have more than 156 yards, more than eight receptions. Rather than Stanford? And have... Two or more touchdowns. I'm not going to say better than Stanford. Cause really, really quick tie onto this Dylan Mitchell thing. I just want to say this. I know we're, we all want to get home because it's almost midnight. No, but, I like staying here all the time. Okay, so but let's we'll just. just well, I, I brought a cot in my backpack, so we'll, I said cot <laughs> by the way with a T. So we'll we'll lay down like. Uh, no, but I. Do you think is, is Dylan Mitchell on the conference first or second team, or is he even or is he an honorable mention guy this year? I think he goes under the radar because you do have. Like we established, LaVisca Chenault would have probably, he's been hurt, he's been banged up for a while, would have probably been the conference player of the year at the midway point of the conference play. Nikhil Harry, who's also had some injury issues, 
clearly super talented. J.C. Arcega Whiteside, that guy can that guy can absolutely make plays. Yeah, some Washington State's guys too. Washington State has a bunch of guys that have big numbers. I I think you got to put him on first team. I'm just, I, I w- I'm just gonna say I wouldn't be sh- absolutely floored if he's not. I think he deserves to be. But I could see he kind of snuck up on some people coming into the year. There wasn't a, t- a ton of you know attention paid on him. I know he's going to finish the and probably this game in particular is going to help him. I'm guessing I, we don't have the updated okay, stats. Okay, so for in the six in six Pac-12 games, he yeah. has 50 receptions for 735 yards. I'm not saying he's not good. <laughs> I know I know his numbers are really good. I'm just saying I wouldn't be shocked if there's a little bit of disrespect and he ends up on like the second team. Okay. I wouldn't be shocked because 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 Nikhil Harry and Lavisca Chenault have been. Two huge names. Well, in how conference. many how many receivers make it? That's the question. Is it two or is it three? I think it's three. He's got a good shot. Okay. I, I think. I, I just think, I just think that this could be a thing where we're writing about this in December. Like, how the heck did this guy who's going to have probably like eleven hundred yards receiving this year not make one? Of He's like on pace for over twelve hundred yards. Wow. Well, I'm pace for twelve hundred. I just want to have you factually correct on this. Podcast. Well, I wasn't. I didn't have math in front. <laughs> By the way, I did great math earlier on the eighteen for thirty-two. That is fifty-six percent. There you go. All right, that's going to do it. Uh, for the Duck Territory podcast, uh, again recapping this one, Oregon wins forty-two to twenty-one. If you had no idea somehow, what the you score made was. this podcast and you didn't know what the score <laughs> was. Uh, thanks for listening. Find us on iTunes. Give us a review. Give us uh, a share uh, on any platform that you use to listen to podcasts. Go to DuckTerritory.com. We've got stuff up on the site uh, breaking down this game, uh, and then stick with us throughout the rest of November. As we get ready to uh, cover the final three games of the 2018 regular season. And now see where this football team is headed for a bowl game. So for Alec and for Eric uh, and for myself, Matt, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you sometime next week. Thanks, guys. Goodbye.